electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the state of the tech trade. It's been unsteady lately. It's among the worst performers this month, but still the best of the year. So is it teetering or just taking a break? We debate that with the Investment Committee this hour. Joining me right here, we do have Rob Seachin, Jim Labenthal, Josh Brown, Bryn Talkington also joining us today. Let's check the markets. We do have green across the board. Another good read on inflation means the Dow is higher by near 174. It is the Nasdaq, though, the standout today. It's been, you know, about cyclicals lately. Tech is back, though, today at least. So, Josh Brown, I send it to you first. Uh, You feel like this trade is teetering a bit? Or is it just taking a, a breather and, you know, we're going to be right back putting money where we've been since the beginning of the year? I, I would be happy if we had a little bit more of a balance rather than this lurching. Everybody run to one side of the boat and then everybody run back to the other side of the boat uh, because the market ends up not going anywhere. And already, like it looks like 4100 might have turned us away uh, or at least we're stalling there, let's just say. So it's, it's a much better market environment where you've got different groups and it's not necessarily this very clear delineation between value and growth, but really it's more about companies that are doing well leading and companies that aren't doing as well lagging. And it would be nice to get back into a market environment that's less top-down thematically driven and more about people making judgments on fundamentals, even if that's not on a stock-by-stock basis, but a sector-by-sector uh, and have those moves uh, last longer than two or three weeks at a time before the next rotation. So that's a wish list. I'm not saying we'll get that, um, but that's that would be the kind of thing you would be looking for if, in fact, you want to see us break out of this range. I would point out, though, a lot of people are using this catch-all term to describe the reason behind what we've seen this year. Uh, they've been saying positioning. And I mock it a little bit, but really, positioning is the answer. We know uh, that hedge funds uh, trading uh, the E-minis bearishly are at a high we haven't seen. You have to go back to 2011. Um, That's all positioning. So then all of a sudden, you get this massive rally in large cap growth stocks, and it accelerates into the end of the quarter, and it's still largely with us, even though it's cooled down a bit over the last week. Where does that come from? It's a catch-up trade. And, I, you know, I don't know that that's the kind of thing that you want to bank on continuing at the same pace that it's been going for. So to answer your question in as succinct a way as I can, with that background, I would just say, let's wait and see if we get follow through from the Russell 2000 names, from the value names, uh, stabilization in the, in, the, in the bank and financial sectors. If we get that, it does augur well for another leg up, but we don't have it yet, uh, even if we have this outperformance from the FANG names continuing. You know, Bryn, it's, it really is stunning in terms of the performance. 
year to date, you know, Apple's up 26% year to date. Uh, Microsoft, Alphabet, Amazon, each at least up 20%. And you want to go Meta and NVIDIA, you got to put an eight handle on the number, 82 and 83 respectively. Um, what do we make, though, of the way that this space has traded lately? Um, some would say, okay, if soft landing is back on the table, no wonder that cyclical or quote-unquote value stocks are going to outperform in the at least near term. But maybe it's just a moment in time and money's going to go right back to where people believe it can have better growth, where the balance sheets uh, are, are better as well. I think that for right now, the majority of the returns in tech, especially within the names you listed, add, add a Tesla to that. I think the, these first quarter returns are just incredible and you could easily end the year around here with those returns because these are full year returns we've received in one quarter. And then we have earnings upon us. And I think for the most part, like with an Apple, which I think we'll talk about later, their earnings and revenues are going to be down, you know, year over year. And so I think this earnings scenario that we're coming into is going to decide within the mega cat tech, were these multiples justified? Does their narrative going forward with what Tim Cook says or Jensen Wong or Elon say about their companies justify the massive multiple expansion we've had? Because I do think that multiple expansion, that re-rating is a little bit too much too fast. I also think it's healthy, though, because three weeks ago, Scott, we were talking about within the banking crisis, you know, whereas tech stocks were, tra were trading like we're in a soft landing, energy stocks were trading like a downright recession. And so I do think that catch up and that broadening out within healthcare, within energy is a really positive to the market because we don't want to see five names make up 90% of the return, which is what you saw in the first quarter. So I like I the broadening theme, but to Josh's point, whether it lasts or not, I mean, is really anybody anybody's guess. I want to sort of play off what, you know, Bryn and, and Josh were talking about, Jim, the, the idea of positioning or being, you know, out of position, so to speak, off sides to this trade, as, as many have been, you know, you guys included, uh, in terms of let's just take Apple, for example. You're underweight, mm -hmm. Apple. You're underweight, Apple. Apple's target today goes to 188 at Credit Suisse. Apple's target goes to 180 at Canaccord. Uh, steady iPhone sales, China reopening. You could create a number of different bullish you know theses behind exactly what, what's happening there but how do you how do you answer that so to, to start with I am of the opinion that Apple and this tech trade is a referendum on what the economy is going to do and I think there is still a very vibrant feeling that that we're headed for a recession especially after the Fed minutes yesterday that said the Fed thinks there will be one at the end of the year um, so that may say to me well why don't you get at least equal weight on Apple and the rest of the technology yeah why not yeah, and the reason for that is actually really quite simple. I know of very few people who are looking for a deep, dark recession, like something that came out of the great financial crisis. Even what the Fed itself, Scott, put forward yesterday is a short, shallow recession. And if they're right, and you know I'm still in the soft landing camp, I'm certainly aware that we could have a recession. Um, but I'm in the soft landing camp, and, and regardless of whether we get a short, shallow recession or not, I think the market is soon going to look forward to 2024, and it's going to say, hey, in Inflation's under control. The Fed's done. Yes, there's been damage, but it hasn't been critical lasting damage. Let's get back in the cyclicals. Let's get back into value. Let's get back into the small caps that Josh just mentioned. So, um, look, those are fabulous numbers yeah, for those tech stocks. I, I think they'll do okay from here, but I'm still putting my money on the value cyclical stocks. How do you, how do you want to answer that? 
You know, there's huge tension in our own company, right? It depends on if you believe the bond market. It depends on if you believe the Fed. You know, certainly some names are getting more interesting in growth. Apple being one, traded at 35 times at its peak, trades at 26 times today, which is in line with its five-year average. You're saying, like, if you believe the bond market, which is saying the Fed's not going to do what it says, then rates are going to go lower. You want to own tech. If you believe the Fed, you think they're going to continue to raise. Rates go up. Things get a little, you know, choppy, to say the least. Uh, And then you go into a recession. People are willing to pay up for growth. The question becomes, though, Scott, how much are they willing to pay up for growth? Right now, growth trades at above a pre-pandemic peak from a valuation perspective. As we start to get some of this deceleration in data, which we've seen, right? It's supportive of growth. If you see an acceleration in the data, which I, which I don't think we'll see, it's not. But no matter what you say, growth is expensive and there's better value elsewhere to, to Jim's point. But see, point. you kind of get, I, I almost feel, you can build a couple of different stories around tech growth. Mm-hmm. Um, you get growth and then you do get some degree of what is perceived to be safety. Yeah. Defensive well, it's, it's trades by nature. But earning, that's, that's what part of the narrative has wrapped its arms n- around. No question, because they're the new defensives. But it's all based on multiple expansion because earnings have actually decelerated. So this is a macro-driven trade to tech. It's also a market-driven trade to tech because when you look at the constituencies of the indices, some of the largest holdings are in the tech space. So that is a very important decision for investors. And I would argue that it's a little long in the tooth, absent some major deceleration in the economy. Now, Josh, I mean, it can remain long in the tooth for a long time, right? Just because it looks to be overbought doesn't necessarily mean that that just says, okay, ring the, ring the bell, and that all of a sudden that these stocks are going to end up having some kind of a, of a reversal. This can be the great, you know, uh, wrong positioning trade of the last many years. The way that people came into this year to, especially if you get a change in a, and, a, and a, a chase of sorts. Well, there's a couple of other elements that I want to bring to the conversation, and I'd be curious to hear what uh, Jim and Rob and Bryn think. But the first is the U.S. dollar is now about 1% from a 52-week low. When was the last time we've been able to say that collectively? Um, and whether the Fed is done or not, we know that they are closer to done. Uh, I think there's a 66% chance of another quarter uh, basis point rate hike, which I think will be yet another uh, rate hike they'll have to give back to us in the back half of the year. But whatever, let's say they do it. Um, Europe is, is, is further from being done. They're at about 3%. Um, in their equivalent to Fed funds rate. So um, the dollar weakening to this extent favors multinationals. What are multinationals? Well, they happen to be FANG stocks. So that's another feather in that cap. If you remember, the U.S. dollar last year in earnings terms was a wrecking ball. It worked its way through the entire uh, earnings picture for virtually every large cap uh, stock to one extent or another. It was all they were talking about on the conference calls. And that has now completely reversed, which favors large cap growth stocks, which, again, tend to be multinational. So that's one. Two, this is really important. The drop in CPI is not just the percentage, but the length of time it's been falling is fairly unprecedented. Now, granted, 
We had an inflation emergency, and that's why, but it's just taking a very long time to work its way down. CPI on a year-over-year basis has now been in decline for nine straight months. That is the longest since CPI went down nine straight months from 1930 to 1931. And I think we all know what was going on then. Prior to that, the longest streak was 12 months in a row. You have to go back to 1920, 1921. So it's fairly unprecedented to have three quarters of a year with falling CPI on a year over year basis. That's an extraordinary development. And once again, I think that's something that's supportive of the large cap trade more so than small cap and growth versus uh, value. You know what, Bryn? I think a big part of the story is, too, that that needs to be discussed. And it, I think, is a a perfect way to segue into Andy Jassy on our network today uh, in an exclusive interview. Of course, the Amazon CEO. These companies took the medicine first, right? They started to right-size their businesses for the environment first. Where did the layoffs start? They started in mega cap tech. They talk about the year of efficiency, whether it's Zuckerberg at Meta or others who have followed suit, called it perhaps something else. But Jassy himself says today, confident he can get costs under control. Kramer, of course, owns it in the charitable trust. I want the year of efficiency, says Jim. Stock's up 20%, as I said, year to date. It's kind of like the first in, first out idea as well. So you say, okay, well, they're a place of safety or defense. They're a place where you get, you know, free cash flow. You get a good balance sheet. And then, oh, by the way, they took the medicine first. They started to right-size their businesses before everybody else. Yeah, well, well that, that, let's peel that back a little bit. Let, let's start with the easy one, free cash flow. First of all, these big tech stocks outside of Meta, they have a lot of cash, but like on a free cash flow yield, none of them are very high. And actually, Amazon has had a negative free cash flow year free cash flow yield since the end of 2021. I think for full year 2022, they had negative 12 billion, but that's been by design. And this is where, you know, whereas Apple is about 10% from an all-time high, if you say 178, I mean, where was Amazon's all-time high? Like 85 points higher than today. And so I just think that Amazon is a very different company than a Facebook. I don't know if Amazon can lay off the percentage that Meta can because so many of those employees work in those distribution centers. To me, the Amazon story is a story about pivoting and change. And when you, if I went and reread Andy's um, commentary from last quarter, and he talks about creating a fourth pillar, and whether that's in healthcare, whether that's in lower Earth orbits. Um, satellites, I don't know, but he keeps talking about wanting to spend more on these other verticals. And so I think Amazon's an interesting name here, but I don't see that sense of urgency to say, why do I need to buy it here at 100 bucks? I mean, it's trading at the exact same price it was trading in August of 2018. It's here for anyone to buy it, you know, four or, you know, five years later, yet it's still trading at 100 bucks. And so I think it's a, it's a wait and see story, but I do think it's one of the more interesting names of the fangs because people are starting to get impatient with their, with their spend and their lack of free cash flow because they're spending mm-hmm. too much. Yeah, no, I mean, look, hey, Scott, you, you know, Kramer was, I, I'm, coming to you, I'm coming to you right now, Josh, I promise, because right. I just was going to say that, you know, Kramer had that sort of exasperation in his voice today as he's like tired of, you know, I guess in some respects defending um, the stock in the charitable trust saying, look, I, I want to see 
one of the changes is going to happen, right? He, he was like, channel Zuckerberg at Meta more, like drink that Kool-Aid. And hopefully it jump starts the stock, which, Josh, I'll come to you now because you own Amazon and I was going to come to you anyway here. Yeah, so I own the stock and I've been wrong on it uh, for, for a while now in full disclosure. But I think the way to think about and I don't disagree with anything Bryn said. In fact, I'm going to double down on it, but I just draw a different conclusion. I think the thing to say about Amazon is they just had perhaps the worst year, calendar year, in the company's entire history. And that includes the great financial crisis, and that includes the 2001-2002 era where the stock price went to 10. Uh, Amazon fundamentally, this is not a situation where we're looking at Kathy Wood stocks and we're talking about multiple contraction. They literally had a horrendous year. They grew revenue in three out of four quarters last year in the single digits. Prior to 2022, Amazon never, listen to me now, never had a, a quarter of single digit revenue growth. You have to go back to Q3 of 2001 to find them struggling this badly for growth. Some of that is pull forward because the comps from 2020 and 2021 were never going to be matched. But so what? Amazon's gross profit margin has also been cut in half from early 2020. It was at 26 percent at the onset of the pandemic. It's at 13. Then you look mm -hmm. at revenue uh, growing at a 29 percent CAGR, which is not terrible. Um, but the operating income in Q4 of 2022 was two times higher uh, than than over 2019, which sounds great. But look what the, the expenses to generate that. So. Amazon has had a huge fundamental challenge. And if you're a bull, which I am in the stock still, the, the, the case to be made is it can't be as bad as, as things were in 2022. You had a brand new CEO. The other guy stepped down at a perfect time uh, to, to enjoy a second honeymoon. This guy's had a year to figure out all these challenges. I don't think they're not going to be improving on all right. of the metrics that I, that I just listed. You know, Rob, I'll steer you to Meta, which was your stock summit pick. Mm -hmm. Obviously a great one. I don't need to tell you that. The numbers speak for themselves. As I said, 82% year to date. But wrap this conversation. I want to hit the banks, too, before we take our first break. But give me something on this idea. Like, you know, Zuckerberg, you know, had found a bit of religion on the idea of efficiency. With some outside nudging. Used, well, a lot of outside nudging, including right. from the likes of Brad Gerstner, obviously, yep. who's highlighted that in his letter on this show on numerous occasions, but the idea of sort of first in, first out for these but, stocks. But it's also the nature of the business. If you look at, if you, if you look at Meta, 25% operating margins, 30% free cash flow margins, 20% return on invested capital. It was a matter of refocusing on that business where the markets today are not rewarding revenue which is what Amazon is. Their operating margins don't look like that. Declining profitability. And so we sold Amazon at the end of the pandemic, partly because we could see that rolling over because of a pull forward in demand. Mm -hmm. We bought Meta in December on this show because we saw the exact opposite, the unlocking of those powerful characteristics. Those are vastly different businesses. So let's let's just hit a couple minutes here on the banks, Jimmy, because they're going to kick off earnings season tomorrow. Um, there's a lot of anticipation about what's going to happen. JPM, City Wells and BlackRock, you own City and JPM. Atlantic Equities today, until there is greater clarity around the extent of a future recession, the current sector discount is likely to remain, they say, but the longer term risk reward is improving. They talk about headwinds 
yes, the valuations are attractive, but take into consideration what they suggest here. So why don't we address the headwinds first, because I think there's a bigger headwind uh, actually than the recession, if you can believe that, a potential recession, which is the probability that regulatory costs are going to go up. And in and, addition to that, uh, deposit financing costs are going to go up. So uh, there is short-term headwinds on the banking system, and I would not expect any great catalyst in tomorrow's uh, earnings for the banks. What I am looking for, however, is just insights into the macroeconomic uh, uh, situation, particularly the consumer, right? You look at Citi, you look at J.P. Morgan, they've got enormous credit card businesses. So, so what Jamie Dimon or anyone else says uh, about the health of the consumer there matters a lot. Um, you know, obviously, there have been inflows to the big banks at the expense of the small banks. I'm not sure that Jamie Dimon or Jane Frazier or anyone else is going to address their competitors like that. But to the extent that they give any hints to the to the health of the regional banking system, I'd like to hear that. I'd no, like I'm to sure hear what they have to there, There's some something that's... Call. You own JPM. I, I, and Wells. But there's something really important happening here. Could we be entering a time of peak net interest margin spreads? That's the question. Right, because you raise your deposit rates to keep money from flight, C right? Correct. And you've seen this massive rotation out of deposits and into treasuries, into money funds, into securities where customers feel safe. That's something that anybody that's a financial advisor is wrestling with today. They're making those moves. And there's an impact on banks in that regard. And then you're also going to watch, obviously, for loan growth and what they're doing. But that's that's really a lagging indicator. So we're not going to see that right away. But I think that the biggest issue is net interest margin peaking. And we're underweight financials as a result, but we own the highest quality players in the industry because they are going to be able to keep that higher. Josh, JPM, quick. Uh, I expect a good but cautious quarter. And if you're an investor, that's actually what you're looking, that's what you're looking for right now. Uh, the, the shareholder letter told you everything you need to hear about how he sees the current environment. And I highly recommend people go out and read that if they haven't yet. Yeah. Yeah, that's his annual letter. Jamie Dimon, of course, you're talking about CEO. A uh, lot of anticipation for tomorrow morning. Stocks, nah, not doing all that much today because they're waiting also for what the numbers might bring. All right, up next, our call of the day on one big healthcare name up 7% this month alone. The details and the debate right here on The Half are next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Let's do our call of the day now. There it is. It is Merck City upgrading that stock. They say its drug pipeline is underappreciated. Maybe it's underappreciated from everybody on this show today because I don't see any ownership. What's up with that? Why not, Rob? Uh, 
We just like other names. We like healthcare. Healthcare is uh, very resilient given our economic view, which is which is cautious. We've been wrong on a year-to-day basis, but some of the securities we own have done reasonably well. But healthcare is the cheapest of the defensives, and so to us, that's a great way to kind of grind through what we suspect is going to be maybe a tough summer. I mean, you you prefer Lilly. Mm-hmm. You prefer J and J. You got United Health. They report tomorrow morning too, not to be overshadowed in in any way mm-hmm. uh, by the banks. That is a a highly loved stock. It is, but it's expensive. UNH. So, UNH is expensive. So we've reduced it twice, both on this show, once in September, and I could be getting this wrong, but I think once in March. And so we're going to be watching very closely top and bottom line numbers to see if they still are decelerating. That's why we reduced it the last two times. Yeah. Huge gainer over the years, though. Bryn, um, you know, you don't have to necessarily take on Merck. You don't own that either, but you do own AbV and you also own the XBI the biotech ETF. Yeah, you know, XBI is up around 5% today. So it's like that sector in general, the biotech space has really been a stinker, you know, the last year or so. So it's nice to see some energy finally coming in there, at least today. But I think with healthcare in general, the the bigger players like the Mercs, the AbbVie's, you get this GARP, this growth at a reasonable price. You have much more recession resilient. If you go into a contraction, you want to own staples, utilities, and healthcare. I think staples and utilities are kind of expensive, so I, that's another reason to like healthcare. Of the three, it's a cheaper sector, and you also get at the sector level a free cash flow yield of five and a half percent, which next to energy at twelve is the second biggest free cash flowing yields yielding sector, which is what you want to own in times of uncertainties. You know, Jimmy, I feel like we kind of glossed over this yesterday because we ran out of time towards the end of our show. This new buy of yours. You haven't been all that active lately, but you did buy Vertex, VRTX, been trading at an all time high as well. Yeah, I, I've, I've got a good team uh, that works with me on this, and they've really been hammering me on this. And they've said, look, they're right, by the way. You know, Bristol-Myers and AbbVie that we own, these are a little bit stodgy. Okay, these are kind of really value stocks, dividend yielding, not not a lot of price volatility. Vertex is a little bit different. This is something that you can see a lot of share price appreciation, and I think you will. They've got a fabulous cystic fibrosis business, uh, but they're branching out into a lot of areas of indications besides that, including pain uh, and diabetes. Uh, and those are obviously growth growth areas, I'm sorry to say, uh, it's pretty attractively priced. I mean, this is not some nosebleed biotech either. It's roughly 20 times forward earnings. I'm pretty comfortable with it. Yeah, this. I mean, it is a little bit more than 20. It's a above, market, above market multiple. It's true, but uh, it's got and, a great balance and, sheet. And you're, all, and you're also buying it, as we've been talking about a number of other places where you may, may want to be, you may not want to be, you're buying it at an all-time high. I don't often do that, Scott. So I'm aware of Which is why I'm raising the issue. Sort yeah. of, it sticks out um, to me. You know, chart actually looks pretty good, too, by the way. Maybe that's why it's at the all-time high. Listen, I'm aware of what you're saying. The valuation is a little high. It's got a very clean balance sheet. I think I'm okay with this. Now, we'll say this. It's a toehold position. This is something I will add to over time. I'm not hoping it goes down, but if it does, I'll add to it. You own it, right? Yeah. Robbie? For a while. 40% annualized EPS growth over the last five years. Trades at 22 and a half times, to your point. 90% share in the CF market, Right. And, uh, you know, 44% free cash flow margins. This, this, uh, this is a typical Jimmy pick and a great job. Uh, Josh, no, no health care exposure? 
Help me understand what's up with that. No, I thought you um, at one not point a, not, did you have the the not FBI, individually IBB. Yeah, not individually, and I've missed the boat on a lot of these names. And they are also an example of companies where they don't require broad-based economic growth to work. Uh, they they have their own secular situation. They benefit from the weaker dollar, of course. They are also large caps. They are also growth. So I've missed a boat on the group. And I would just point out, it's probably still a great place, uh, a great uh, hunting ground, so to speak. People forget, this is the second largest sector in the S&P now. It's about 14% uh, of the index. So the fact that the XLV has gone vertical in the last month has been a really big contributor uh, to the overall index rally. 25% uh, of the XLV stocks are trading at a 50-day high. In the middle of March, that was about zero. And 77% of the XLV's components are above their 50-day. So you just have rallies everywhere. And I wouldn't be surprised if this continues. We take out that congestion, st really started consolidating from August of 2021. And if that happens, you'll see a lot of technical buys pop up, and I'll probably end up in a couple of these names. Okay, uh, good stuff. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, our chart of the day, an airline, what have been a couple of days of interesting airline news, got another one today. We have one now forecasting a record-breaking summer. The name, the trade, the owner on this desk next. Trade my trade. Send us your latest stock move, and the investment committee will debate it and grade it. Email us at askhalftime at cnbc.com or tweet us hashtag grade my trade. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Seema Modi. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. Jury selection beginning today in the Dominion Voting System's $1.6 billion defamation lawsuit against Fox and its cable TV networks. The lawsuit alleges Fox and some of its hosts and executives of harming Dominion's reputation by reporting false claims that it was involved in voter fraud. The trial set to begin on Monday. Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer signing gun safety bills establishing universal background checks for all firearm purchases and safe storage requirements. This comes just two months after a shooting at Michigan State University, leaving three dead and five injured. And California Senator Dianne Feinstein facing calls for resignation from fellow Democrats following her lengthy absence from the Senate. California Rep Ro Khanna tweeting in part, while she's had a lifetime of public service, it is obvious she can no longer fulfill her duties. Scott, back to you. Oh, all right, Seema, thank you very much. 
at Seema Modi with our news update. Let's get to our chart of the day now. It is Delta posting a miss on the top and the bottom lines. The company, though, did raise its guidance for the summer quarter. Shares trading lower. There you go, down about 1%. It's been a volatile session. Look, we talked about these airlines, you know, what was it, yesterday? Yesterday. With American? Yeah. Um, what, do you, what do you say about this one? You own this. Yeah. So what do, what do we make of this? So here, here's the positive. First off, the guidance was extraordinarily positive for the second quarter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Phil LeBeau interviewed Ed Bastian uh, in the morning, and, and Ed was, as he has been for several quarters, exceedingly positive on demand going forward. So then why is the stock down? And I think the answer is that people just don't believe it's going to last. I really think it's that simple. Um, I don't think anybody says that Mr. Bastian is in any way hiding what the second quarter is going to be. I think people are worried about what happened from the Fed yesterday, Scott saying a second half recession and in recessions you sell airlines uh, and I think that's what's happening here. However, I am sticking with it and it's not just because the second quarter looks good. It's as I said earlier, you know, if we have a recession and it's short and shallow, we start to look to 2024. Um, those earnings may well be intact. They may, may well grow. Uh, and we're trading at less than five times those earnings right now. Free cash flow, $1.9 billion in the quarter. Hey, the market cap's only $21 billion. Yeah. The valuation's very attractive. Let me ask you this question, too. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me, as I, as I wonder about this, this issue. If we, let's say we don't have a recession, but you're still at a period of peak travel. Yeah. Like, the numbers are never going to be good, as good as they were post Pandemic. <laughs> yeah. So how do you grapple with with that question? It's an excellent question. I, actually, uh, Ed Bastian addressed this. He, he pointed out that we can't expect the same growth in consumer travel in particular this year like we saw last year. It's just the, the numbers can't work. Well, the business travel numbers are never going to so, come back to the degree because you just don't have people who are already working have. five they, days they, a week is, necessarily. You heard, you heard Josh say this. They are, it's, they are, and they're coming back in international where there is still a lot of room for growth. So transatlantic uh, traffic is picking up mightily. And in Mr. Bastian's words, China, at least in the quarter that was just reported, really had no effect. It's just reopening now. So there's actually a lot of room for the international growth, which is high margin business. Josh, what's the point you want to make? I mean, even if travel, even if business travel is coming back, Number one, you don't own any of these stocks. Number two, you're, you are at arguably the greatest period of travel in the last 18 months or a year, let's say, um, certainly since last summer, that you may ever see in this business. And yet the stocks over Airlines. a year period of time are ugly. Airlines are only ever a trade. They are never an investment. Agreed. So we can... Uh, we, we, can, we can say semantics, I'll, I'm investing for two years, all right, fine, that's a trade. Um, none of the five airlines in the S&P 500 are above their 50-day moving average. They all look terrible. Um, Delta and UAL are the only two above their 200-day, but they're sitting on that 200-day, and I think they'll violate. The rest are already violated beyond belief. ALK, AAL, uh, Southwest looks terrible. Um, the five airlines are down a median 32% from 52-week highs in arguably the biggest bubble in consumer travel, as you pointed out, Scott, the world will ever see. They are sitting literally 13% collectively above 52-week lows. These are not mm-hmm. great company, uh, not great stocks. Um, and I go back to Warren Buffett's original maxim before he lost money in this sector. He said somebody should have done uh, capitalism a favor, gone back in time and assassinated the Wright brothers uh, because of how horrible it is to be an investor in a, in a commercial airline. So I hope Jimmy makes Sounds money. A lot like I will not be here. 
I, 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 I want you to respond to that. How do you respond to, to that? He's reporting you facts. Can't. Uh, no, no, I can't. Jimmy Just knows. Down. Jimmy I, knows. No, no, well, well, listen, listen. Wait, Josh. I mean, you're absolutely right. These are trades. And I will admit, this trade is long in the tooth for me. No question These about have it. not been trades but, for you. These have been investments No, but this you. is not something I'm, I'm not married to these stocks. Believe me, they've, they're longer than I would like. But... You sound look, like you're about wait, 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 to have wait, wait, your just 50th wait, just anniversary down, party. What do you mean you're not married to them? Look, what I'm hearing from Josh. <laughs> you're going to Tavern on the Green with the airlines. Slow down, hot shots. Finish here. <laughs> the, what I'm hearing the sentiment from Josh reminds me of what people were saying about energy stocks in the fall of 2021. It's just, yes, they have sucked. But I'm not investing in the rearview mirror. If you're asking me why don't I sell them right now, I went through the positives that I see. I'm not going to sell so, them here. But, but those positives are out there. And let's not forget, has anybody been paying attention to oil prices and how you know yeah. airline stocks typically trade relative to oil prices? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or the fact that we're probably at a peak, jo- peak jobs market that may roll over. People are still traveling because they have jobs. Simple. So are those, you invest based on the change in the rate of change, the delta, right? And I just think that rate of change is coming in a different way. I mean, these, this just sort of smacks more than anything else of the old thing that the, there's the economy and then there's the stocks. And, they, and they've been disconnected, these stocks from the economy for the last year and a half. You know what else has? What if they reconnect, Auto. Scott? What if they reconnect? Autos too, in some respects. Yep. Right. All right, we'll, we'll see. Coming up, the street is getting bullish on a few food stocks. We'll see if the committee has an appetite for any of the names we discuss next. All right, we are back. Check out shares of McDonald's hitting a new record high again today on pace for the fifth straight week of gains. See, you own this, right? Up 13 of 14 days as of yesterday. And today, Oppenheimer reinforces McDonald's as a top pick. Raises the price target to 315 from 304. Top pick despite the fact that the stock's at an all time high. It's also at a all time high multiple, so it's not cheap. I think it's benefited from this consumer trade down theme. They've also executed reasonably well, but I think you have to pay attention to price right now. And, you know, we're going to be evaluating that. I'm not sure what our ultimate decision is, but, uh, you know, it's expensive. Okay. Uh, Bryn. What about these food stocks? Because Chipotle got a call today at City, a positive catalyst watch there. They say it's bullish heading into earnings later this month. They bumped the price target to 2140 from 2084. That's 2140 from 2084. So I think it's interesting. I mean, McDonald's, the way I would look at all three, no matter how they're categorized, is Chipotle and Shake Shack are consumer discretionary. McDonald's is a staple. And so to me, even though McDonald's, I don't own any of them, but even though McDonald's has a has a high multiple going into a downturn, that McDonald's is just, I think, going to be very consistently an outperformer in times of uncertainty versus the volatility and the price at a Chipotle and a Shake Shack, which are going to be two to three times what you're going to get in McDonald's. So if I had to pick the three, I would actually stay in McDonald's just because I do think the prices of the two are more are extraordinarily more expensive than a burger at McDonald's. We'd be remiss if we didn't mention Shake Shack here, Josh, of course. Uh, It is up 34% year to date, as you know better than probably anybody, considering you own the stock. 
Yeah. Uh, here's the deal. This stock has gotten very cheap relative to where it was uh, even just a couple of years ago. This was trading at almost 10 times sales if you go back, let's say, to January of 2021. So in the last couple of years, we've seen that multiple to sales contract way, way down. It's about two and a half times sales, which is the cheapest it's ever been uh, since coming public. In the meanwhile, uh, quarterly year-over-year sales growth is about 17%. Um, so this is a stock that hasn't done anything for a long time. It's rallied this year to make up for it falling last year. Um, but th this is now a stock that you could say is reasonably priced for the growth rate. I think it's been ignored. It's a tiny market cap, not a lot of analyst coverage, not a lot of institutional support, but that could change. So I'm a long-term investor here. How it does in the next 90 days is not terribly important to me. I got gotcha. you. 2.3 billion market cap to uh, to your point on the smaller side, obviously, but uh, the gain is not small uh, year to date. All right, still ahead, grade my trade. We have a question on Tesla as well. Bryn owns it, ready to give her expert take. And of course, grade next. All right, we're back. Take a look at the markets here. We do have green across the board today, another good read on inflation. Dow's good for 200. NASDAQ is the leader from a percentage standpoint. Bob Pisani is here, our senior markets correspondent. Tech, big shock. We're, we're, we're moving in the right direction. We're kind of trying to break out. 41.24 was the old uh, recent high. We could break out. We're in February but, highs. Right now, 41.25. Yeah, we're, we're early February highs. So th this comment yesterday from the Fed staff about a mild recession, right. whatever that Base is, case. has got everybody in a tizzy. I thought it'd be good to remind everybody what happens in a real recession when you actually have a recession uh, that's out there. And, it, and typically, here's what you'll see. You'll see an earnings decline of 10 to 20 percent. Uh, you will see a multiple contraction of 20 to 25 percent. Now, it, we're not even any, here's the numbers, we're not even anywhere remotely in this neighborhood. In fact, earnings are estimated to be up 0.9 percent this year. We're going to have two negative quarters, and then the back end, we're going to have this sudden miracle is going to occur where we're going to have a soft landing, essentially. So what's happened here is... The market is positioned for no recession, essentially, soft landing in an extreme position. And I want to just show you where the strategists are, because they're trying to get away from this, because they know the market is really out there right now. So the estimate for this year is $220. That would be essentially flat compared to uh, 2022. Here's where some of the numbers are. This is Costin at Goldman. He's the big optimist. He's slightly above the market. Citigroup 213, Wells Fargo 210. Remember, 220 is the estimate. JP Morgan 205, and it goes down from there. Bank of America, this is um, Savita Supermanian. She's a 200, Barclays 200, RBC 199, 198. So basically, if you look at this, most of the strategists are positioned at the $200 level, and the streets at 220, they're about 10% below where the street is. They're trying to distance themselves from the soft landing because they see what everybody else sees. They see markets really out there. It's going to be perfect for them to nail this. And their year-end numbers, they're all right where we are now. They're at 4,100. So it's a tight situation now for the market. Bob, let's remember where we started, too, and how much uh, earnings have decelerated already. Well, we're like 250, right? Yeah, what were we, 250, uh, 230? Amidst this economic strength, you start to get some economic weakness, I think, you know. You're going to start to see markets maybe repricing and multiples have expanded and, and, and in yet, this time. And yet, to argue against my, my book here, the, 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 
we were doing this in October, remember? Yeah, the yeah. earnings apocalypse, I kept using this word day after day, and it never happened. Mm -hmm. We never got the collapse in the That's earnings cool. estimates that anybody, everybody was anticipating. So here we are with the same thing. We got the scare about this mild recession from the Federal Reserve staff talking, and we're already now trying to predict the same thing is going to happen. Remember, everyone was wrong in October. We may even be wrong now. The market may be right, and the Fed may not be right. You see the, I know we gotta go, the VIX, yeah, 18. About to break 18. Yeah, 18. Yeah. It, remember, when you're, below, when you're below 20, that's real complacency. That 20 is about an average for the VIX. Yeah. You get to 28, that's where it starts getting interesting for a buying opportunity. All right, I'll see you on Closing Bell okay. a couple hours from now. That's Bob Pisani. We grade your trades next. Grade my trade time. First up, Jimmy. Uh, Joe sold 1,000 shares of Cleveland Cliffs when it hit 2270 a few weeks ago. Still have 3,000 shares left, he says. Should I buy more since the price dropped or just stand by and wait? Buy them back. And this is really simple, all right? They just pre-announced earlier this week. Take a look at earnings estimates. For this year, Cleveland Cliffs earnings estimates are up about 30% from the beginning of the year for this year. Uh, stock is incredibly attractive. They're raising prices. They got volumes going well. Stick with an ad to Cleveland Cliffs. Okay. Uh, Bryn from Mo bought 1,000 shares of Tesla, 112, and another 1,000 at almost $207. What do I do? Sell, hold? What do you think? I give you an A for buying at 112 when everyone got caught up in the Twitter nonsense. So what I would do is I would actually take some profit, but with what was left, I would sell three to six month out of the money options with about a 15% upside. So then you can get some big premium because the name is volatile. And so then you have some income coming in and some upside participation. Scotty, I know Mo. He works at a restaurant. He's a super fan of the show. Mo works at a local restaurant around here in the city. Okay. You should go see him. Okay. He would be happy to All see right, you. you. Tell me where that is. All right. We're back with Final Trades next. Closing bell a couple hours from now. We've got a big show. Chris Harvey, earlier in the week of Wells, put out the note everybody was talking about. He changed his outlook on the market, at least in the near term. We got him today. He's going to come on and tell you exactly what he sees going forward. Also, top financial advisor Chris Toomey of Morgan Stanley Private Wealth will be with us as well, and we can't wait for that. 3 o'clock Eastern. All right, let's do final trades. Brent Talkington, what do you have for us? XBI. Uh, all the gene therapy names are up today. XBI trades in a really tight range between 75 and 90. You could buy it here today around 80, sell those September 90 calls, still have about 12% upside with about a 3.5% call premium. All right, Josh Brown, back in the house. What do you have? Uh, yeah. <laughs> ITA is a couple of dollars away from breaking its pre-COVID high. We live in a dangerous world. You want to be invested in aerospace and defense stocks. All right. Hope you had a good trip. Good to have you back. Uh, Farmer Jim. Yeah, Thermo Fisher, we talked about healthcare earlier. There's a lot of good stocks, a lot of good subsectors, and Thermo Fisher is a high quality company in that space. All right, Rob Seachin. Principal Financial Group, cheap way to play financials, trades about 10 and a half times. We bought it two weeks ago. All right, good stuff. I'll see you on Closing Bell. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. 
I won't let my active psoriatic arthritis joint symptoms define me. Emerge as you. Tremphia guselkumab is proven to significantly reduce joint pain, stiffness, and swelling in adults with active psoriatic arthritis. Some patients even reported less fatigue as assessed by survey one week prior. Results may vary. Tremphia is taken by injection six times a year after two starter doses at week zero and four. Serious allergic reactions may occur. Tremphia may increase your risk of infections and lower your ability to fight them. Before treatment, your doctor should check you for infections and tuberculosis. Tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms of infection, including fever, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough. Tell your doctor if you had a vaccine or plan to. Emerge as you. Learn more about Tremphia, including important safety information, at tremphia.com or call 1-877-578-3527. See our ad in Food & Wine magazine. For patients prescribed Tremphia, cost support may be available. Ooh. 